Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, here today with Jason Deeren. Jason is award-winning investigative reporter for the Associated Press, currently covering the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2018 and 19, he was a night science journalism fellow at MIT. Darren is the author of the new book, Kill Shot, the untold story of the worst contaminated drug crisis in U.S. history, which was just published by Avery Books, a Penguin Random House imprint. His journalism also appears regularly in hundreds of newspapers and websites around the globe. Jason, welcome to the OnTick Protective Intelligence Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, Fred. First, you have an awesome, awesome trailer on your website. Yes, uh, I, my website, jasondeeran.com. We spent um, some months uh, making this trailer. It was produced um, by a friend of mine who works for Scientific American Magazine. He does, he does their video um, named Jeff Del Vicio. He was a, a fellow with me at MIT, uh, a journalism fellow, and we met there And when I was working on research for the book. Um, but when it became time to uh, put a trailer together, we uh, we worked together on it. Yeah, and I'm glad you liked it. Please, everyone, go watch it. Uh, I think it's it's great. And I even wrote I wrote and recorded the music for it myself too, which is a fun fact. Oh my gosh, uh, you're uh, multi talented, my friend. Uh, tell us about Kill Shot. Sure, it's a nonfiction medical thriller about the worst contaminated drug crisis in U.S. history, as you said in the opening. And you may or may not remember um, that in 2012, a mysterious meningitis struck dozens of patients around the country. The first cases started, came to light in Tennessee, and then cases started popping up all around the country in Virginia, Michigan, Indiana, New Jersey, North Carolina, Florida, and many other states. And for weeks, doctors and the CDC were mystified by what was causing this meningitis and also in some patients a corresponding stroke and the deaths began to to rise in October of 2012 and would eventually get to over 100 people dying a nationwide investigation was launched during this as people were flooding hospitals in cities around the nation and they traced the source of these infections to a, uh, a compounding pharmacy in suburban Boston. And from there, the book goes on to tell the story about what happened, the resulting federal criminal case, and also the federal regulatory environment under which these drugs were al allowed to be made. And so it's, it's really, it's a medical thriller, but it's really also an examination of our healthcare system, our federal regulatory system as it pertains to pharmaceuticals, and our legal system and how it handles and prosecutes these types of cases. 
And so, yeah, I'm really proud of it. I think it came out great. And um, I hope, I hope your, uh, your listeners will check it out. Jason, as you were telling us about Killshot, and we have a tremendous amount of corporate security folks that listens to our podcast, I'm struck by several just investigative questions, just my nature, having lived in that space for, for so many years. Is this, is this a failure of due diligence investigation? Is this a corporate supply chain issue? Is this human error? Yes. All of those topics come up in this story. So compounding pharmacies are a peculiar industry. They exist in kind of a, a, a loophole in federal pharmaceutical law. The FDA doesn't oversee them. They are the, the system of oversight for some 7,500 compounding pharmacies in the United States is left to individual states. So it's a patchwork system. Some states are better at it than others. And what that means is many doctors that are prescribing drugs or injecting certain drugs into their patients don't even know if that drug that they're administering, if it's an FDA-approved product, uh, meaning made by a big pharma manufacturer like Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer, which undergo intense scrutiny and safety regulations um, and are overseen by the FDA, or in certain circumstances, they're made by, legally by a compounding pharmacy, those are not FDA-approved. So in this case, what we saw was a breakdown that that lack of oversight led to abuses by this business in, uh, called the uh, New England Compounding Center in uh, Framingham, Massachusetts. And they were making too many drugs too fast and their safety standards weren't being overseen by any kind of inspections. And they ship are, are allowed to legally ship their drugs around the country, state to state. And they sent out thousands of vials of contaminated drugs. Um, and so while this one case is kind of the heart of the narrative of the book, um, when you get to the end, you, you learn that these types of events are still occurring from compounding errors. So that oversight is still not there in many cases. And it's an ongoing problem, which is why writing this book was so interesting to me, because as an investigative journalist, one of my main interests is telling compelling stories, of course, but then those stories have to shine light on a problem that needs attention. And, and in terms of the safety of compounded drugs, which make up, nobody knows how, how many compounded drugs there are in the United States because they are not tracked or there's no data about how many there are. So the GAO estimates it could be up to 10, 15% of the total US drug supply are, are not, is not FDA approved, are made in compounding pharmacies. And so that's a huge risk to patients still and uh, something that I wanted to bring some attention to with this. My goodness, it's, uh, it's fascinating from an investigative perspective. I can see why you wanted to attack this story. It's also, as, as most of us uh, being patients uh, for a range of different uh, uh, sickness and illness and so forth, it's just downright frightening. It is. And the real, at the end of the book, and I think uh, hopefully what patients will take away from this is that there are, there is a lack of regulation here. There, you know, there, FDA inspectors cannot show up at these facilities unannounced. State inspectors often don't either. In fact, you know, New, the New England Compounding Center at the heart of this case, I mean, this is the worst 
contaminated drug crisis in U.S. history. They hadn't been inspected in f- five years. No, nobody had even gone in the premises for five years, and that's still what we're seeing now. But there are things you can do as a patient. You can ask questions of your doctor if you're, and it, and this is especially true for injectable drugs. If you're taking an, a, a compounded oral medication, there are still there are overdoses from those types of things. Sometimes, sometimes compounded drugs are made super potent, too strong, and um, there are overdoses all the time reported in uh, local media. But if it's injected, the risk goes way up. And so if you're getting an eye injection, a lot of eye drugs are compounded. Heart surgery drugs um, called cardioplegia are often compounded off-site, not at the hospital, uh, by a company like I mentioned before. And steroids are a huge market. Uh, if you're being injected with one of these types of products, you need to know a little bit about this so that you can ask your doctor the right questions and just learn if you're getting a compounded version of the drug or an FDA-approved version of the drug. And therein lies the, uh, you know, something you can really do to protect yourself is to ask your doctor those questions. But most people don't even know to ask them. And many doctors I spoke with also don't know. So what they'll have to do is call their pharmacist, the hospital pharmacist, and ask. Doctors believe, um, and, and they're right most of the time, if a product's FDA approved, that's a safe product. It's you know one of the safest things you can put into your body is something that's gone, undergone the scrutiny of FDA oversight, like, for example, the vaccines that we're seeing rolled out now. Uh, incredible scrutiny those are going under. That That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about Drugs made at compounding pharmacies that are not FDA approved. And, uh, and so you need to know to ask about that. Jason, is this a story about broken trust? It is. It's about the broken trust between the, uh, the doctor and the patient um, in some cases. The victims in this story, hundreds of them, went to their doctors to get epidural steroid injections for chronic pain. And they believed that the drugs being put into their bodies were safe, and they weren't. And that has been a, an ongoing problem around the country. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about OnTech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial That is why we created the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. We are regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights, lessons learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontech.ai slash center. That's ontech.ai slash center. From a corporate security or oversight perspective, how would you fix the problem? Well, I think some of the ideas that I've learned about in my reporting and that the FDA asked for after this event. So after the outbreak um, that I talked about, the fungal meningitis outbreak at the heart of this book, there was legislation passed. It was called the Drug Quality and Security Act. So there was, a, there was a legislative solution put forth by the Senate. Basically said, okay, enough is enough. 
The FDA is, has asked for decades for oversight of this industry. They hadn't gotten it. And so they were asking now with the, all these people dying from mistakes made by a compounding pharmacy for a new law that would give them the power to gather data, do inspections, and basically take federal oversight um, from the states. Uh, the final version of that bill made it voluntary. So it did not give FDA oversight. So that's one way compounded drugs could be safer, basically to require them to have some level of FDA approval, which they do not have now. So that's one approach. But the easier approach, I think now, given the difficulties of passing any kind of legislation, is education, patient education. People just need to know that a significant number of drugs being prescribed are compounded drugs and that those drugs are not being made often. Some compounding pharmacies, of course, uh, are very careful and make good products and some don't, but there's nobody minding the store there. And so the key for the patient is to just be able to ask the right questions of their prescriber so that if they are getting an injectable or other compounded drug, they know uh, because they're also not required to be labeled uh, like a FDA approved drug. They, you know, they're not under FDA oversight. So those labeling requirements aren't there. So you can oftentimes not even know where it came from. Is there a compounding of these drugs that are entering into the, the U.S. system manufactured abroad? So compounded drugs in, uh, in the United States are compounded in the United States. But the active pharmaceutical ingredients, so compounding is an age-old practice of pharmacy. In fact, that's how all drugs, most, most drugs were compounded in the 19th century, 18th century, you know, apothecaries, pharmacists, uh, they made our drugs. They made our medicines. You went to your corner drugstore, you gave them a prescription, they had a recipe and they had all the constituent ingredients and went back in their room and they made it for you and then gave it to you. That caused a lot of problems for obvious reasons. It wasn't standardized, it wasn't checked. And so that's when in 1938, uh, they passed the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. There was a huge disaster that killed a lot of children and adults uh, from a poison that was put into a cough syrup. And, and that caused the FDR, uh, FDR to advocate and, and his administration to help pass the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act and created the modern FDA oversight system that makes so many of our medicines so safe now and vaccines. So that still doesn't exist for compounders, and uh, but they but they source their ingredients, the mixtures from overseas. To get to your question, and so so a lot of the constituent ingredients are coming from China, India, the UK, other places uh, around the world, and oftentimes those constituent ingredients in compounded drugs those are also not FDA approved. They haven't undergone the same kind of scrutiny, and so. The drugs are being made in compounding pharmacies that aren't over, overseen by the FDA and its exacting standards, and they're using ingredients sometimes that also haven't undergone FDA scrutiny. And so it's you know it's it's really an area of the pharmaceutical system that is is dangerous and certainly uh, eye opening uh, when you break it down like that. I see a tremendous amount of potential for not only what your book is focusing on with kill shot, but just with sabotage and the nature of the global threats that we're dealing today. And you put that in perspective, there's supply chain concerns, there's 
ramifications just to everybody with this. And so I think your your story here with the advice to make sure you ask questions is one that is going to resonate very loudly uh, with this book. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. Uh, you know, the story is a, an American tragedy, uh, what happened. Um, you know, I traveled around for a couple of years um, talking to the families of people who died, people who survived, but years later are still, you know, unable to work in chronic pain, forced into opioid use because of, um, you know, the chronic pain that they were getting steroid injections for didn't go away, right? When they, and, then, and then they got a, an infection and they survived, but they still have that pain. And so instead of getting steroid injections, a non-opioid pain management system, they're now using opioids. And so this it's had this reverberating effect for years and years after the event happened. And, you know, I've also uncovered and, and other journalists have uncovered since then numerous public health problems due to errors in compounded drugs. So this is an ongoing issue. Uh, dozens of people that we know about, again, there is no tracking of this. No, they're, they're not re- compounding pharmacies are not required to report adverse events when they hurt somebody to the FDA like a traditional manufacturer is. And so we really don't know how many patients are harmed by this, but it happens often enough that it bubbles up into either the criminal courts or the or the press or both, and so just from from those avenues, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, uh, people blinded. Dozens of people in Texas a couple of years ago were blinded by a an, uh, a compounding error in an eye injection drug, and there have been numerous deaths uh, in the in the Midwest. There were uh, babies that who were in ICU that uh, were overdosed with morphine. Um, because the compounding pharmacy made the pediatric drug too strong. It's one of those stories that, uh, you know, when you, the deeper you get into it, the more surprising it is that more hasn't been done to uh, get this under, under wraps. And also, you know, you said, um, as far as security, I mean, compounding pharmacies aren't only just responsible for these errors that harm patients. They're also being used for wide-scale fraud. If, if you follow the U.S. Attorney's Office press releases, in districts around the nation, you get common reports of, of cases being filed and settlements for compounding fraud. So because there's so, such a light oversight of these businesses, they're not only they're being used for fraudulent purposes, and this is billions of dollars in TRICARE and Medicare fraud from the compounding industry as well. And then, of course, you know, uh, do- doping scandals in sports have been tied to compounding pharmacies. Compounding pharmacies have also stepped up where Big Pharma has receded in providing drugs for lethal injections to states that are still doing that. So uh, it's, a, it's an area of the pharmaceutical industry that is kind of the, you know, still the Wild West. Jason, I remember when I was a special agent uh, with the State Department, we had a, a fair number of our agents transfer over to FDA to become criminal investigators to do they have any role to play in here? Yes. Uh, right now, the way the, the law sits is that it, most of the time, a, a compounding pharmacy has to make an error, and then the FDA has the, can ask the state and get permission, and then go in and do an inspection and gather evidence in a criminal case. And that's what happened in this, in this case. So people were dying. It was a widespread national disaster, and the FDA 
asked the state of Massachusetts if it could go in. They'd had to legally. They needed to because the state of Massachusetts had the legal authority. So, and, and, and that kind of regime still exists. So yes, they have a role in investigating, but the states are still on the hook for the vast majority of oversight. So it's usually, you know, basically FDA can get involved after something goes wrong. They're not preventive, they're reactive. When you look at uh, kill shots, you have a very unique cover. <laughs> I, I applaud uh, you and the publisher for putting that together. Thank you. Yeah, I love the cover as well. Um, and the image of the microbe, uh, you know, the, this book also has uh, one of my favorite parts of reporting this book was the, um, I tell the history of this pathogen. So you learn part of the mystery is discovering the pathogen in the book. And I'll let you read the book to figure out what that is. But the pathogen is, is, is finally discovered, which helps treat these people. And the, the scientific history behind that microbe it was a fungus, is fascinating. And while I was doing research, uh, I was a, a fellow at MIT in 2018 and 2019 and had access to the Harvard libraries uh, in doing research for this book. And I went to the Harvard herbarium to do research about the history of this microbe, you know, throughout the years, what, who discovered it? What, what do we know about it? How, what kind of information at the time, once doctors were able to name it, would they have been able to get from the scientific literature? There wasn't very much, but what I did find at Harvard was a postdoc there in the teens, the 19s, um, had been the first to discover it. He ended up with a, in a job with the USDA and was looking at fungal pathogens for, for crops. And as part of his case file and writings about his discoveries were these amazing, intricate hand drawings that he did of the microbes that he discovered, including the one at the heart of my book this fungus. And he used a contraption called a camera lucida, which at the time, old you know, scientists would put attached to their microscopes, and they would use candlelight often to uh, project the image in their microscope onto drawing paper, and then they could draw it, an accurate rendering of that microbe. And so I found his drawing, uh, original drawing, and had Harvard duplicate it for me um, so that I could use it and get the rights to it. And yeah, and that, that those are the images you see in the lettering on the cover are those original hand drawings of the microbe by Charles Drexler, his name was. That's amazing. Jason, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? No, I'm just really, as you can tell, excited about this issue and, uh, and the book. And I really appreciate your interest in it, uh, Fred. And you know, thank you so much. Well, no, I thank you, uh, Jason. You're you're signing a spotlight on an issue that all of us need to be aware of. And quite frankly, you're doing a tremendous public service. Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast, Jason. Thank you for having me. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.ai slash center. Again, that's ontic.ai slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. 
Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontech.ai or visit ontech.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.